Hello and welcome to Peaceful at Heart. My name is Cedric Martin and I'll be your host. Each episode, we're going to take a closer look at the book Peaceful at Heart, Anabaptist Reflections on Healthy Masculinity. We'll dive into the chapters, hear from the authors, and think a little bit more about what healthy masculinity looks like in our modern context. Joining us today is Marty Troyer. Uh, Marty, thanks for your work in this book so we can discuss it today. How are you doing? I'm good, Cedric. It's nice to be here with you. Uh, yeah, I'm doing all right. Um, you know, I, I feel like anytime somebody asks you that during COVID, you have to you have to ask and answer it twice. So uh, I actually have one of my children who's at home today uh, because her classmate has COVID. And so uh, we're, we're doing all right. We're doing what we can do every day. But thanks for asking. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I hope everything uh, resolves itself and everyone stays healthy and safe. Uh, Marty, I, I really appreciated your chapter and, and your perspective on healthy masculinity. Uh, before diving too far into the chapter, could you tell us a little bit about when you were approached about this project and perhaps what experience you bring? Yeah, I remember when uh, I was approached, just, it's been a number of years now, and the world just feels a whole, like a whole different world now than it did back then, um, including some of the things I said in the chapter. But uh, yeah, I was honored when I was approached. I haven't thought of my ministry as being uh, a ministry for men uh, in particular, uh, although I'm as a pastor, obviously I do pastor men and I have uh, pastoral counseling sessions with them. So it was a it was a really good challenge for me and a, and a great uh, tool in my ministry kit to be able to think about my experience. And I have had a lot of experience uh, in the congregation, but also when I was asked, I, I realized that uh, so many of my connections in the activist world here in Houston are uh, are men who I want to read. I want to have read this book. These are folks, uh, one of whom I tell the story about in my chapter, but people who are doing amazing work in the world. But you can just sense that they are not peaceful at heart. Um, so was jumped right on this opportunity to say yes to writing the chapter and to learning from these other authors and editors. That's that's cool. I'm I'm glad that you felt that you could learn as you offer opportunities for others to learn as well. So thanks for that. Uh, Marty, in your chapter, you, you go on to say, we live in a VUCA world, volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. You say, VUCA fits my experience as a dad and a pastor like a glove. Uh, can you tell us more about what you mean by that? Yeah, I mean, keep in mind, I wrote that in 2018, and that was, you know, pre before the pandemic and uh, so many other events that we've lived through. Uh, but VUCA was a phrase actually coined by the by the U.S. military uh, to capture the sense that our world really is in chaos. Um, that's that's a, a for me it's a synonym to to what VUCA is. There are so many moving parts to our individual lives and to the culture, to the politics, to the world we live in. And I think that VUCA fits uh, even more like a glove now than uh, than my experience in 2018. Um, as a pastor, uh, dealing with the mental health implications of the pandemic, as well as the physical and the medical, um, that has been more than a curveball. That is a that is a life changer for so many people, and yet life continues on. So I've had people who have lost their housing, lost their jobs, lost family members to uh, to things like cancer, or car accidents, or suicide. Not just the pandemic. Um, so yeah, VUCA. Uh, volatile, uncertain, complex, ambiguous, 
all of those things fit my life as a pastor, as a dad, and I think just as a, a human citizen today. And um, so I, I've continued to use that in my ministry, that, that language of VUCA. Uh, and it tends to resonate really well with people in the church and outside the church as an experience that they, uh, that they have as well. Wow, absolutely. I uh, appreciate your honesty with sharing how, how it's uh, complex. And uh, there's lots that we don't see behind the scenes as, as a pastor and as a dad that would make all of those things feel like it's a, a VUCA world for sure. Marty, you say in your chapter, uh, many Christians find it hard to connect to their vocation, to their call to Christian action. Action for ordinary Christians has often been reduced to performing the duties of a good church member. How, how does that play out and, and where do we go from here? Yeah, that, that language for me is rooted in the, the missional church uh, language and theology, which uh, probably some of your listeners are are familiar with, but uh, I think that in volunteering to serve your church is important, but I don't feel like that's the primary definition of what it means to be a disciple. And if that's all we think of is passing the offering plate or even teaching Sunday school, uh, we're missing out on the rest of our lives. We're missing out on the 40-hour work week that we do and I think that moving into Christian action outside the four walls of our church is where most of us get our life. It's, it's where most of us get the energy. It's where we uh, find the challenges and even the adventure of working for peace or justice or even just caring for neighbors, uh, caring for coworkers. So, uh, yeah, moving from just thinking about Christianity as being uh, about tithing and volunteering uh, I found in my congregation that that's where our congregational growth has come from. Uh, that's the kind of church that that uh, people are are drawn to. Maybe particular ex-evangelicals or people who grew up evangelical, they're interested in the action. They're interested in being part of a community that is doing something in the world that reflects the life and teachings of Jesus, uh, not just learning about the life and teachings of Jesus. And I think at, at our best, Anabaptists have done that. Uh, throughout our history. Doesn't mean we've always done it. Doesn't mean I've always done that. But I think at our best, we we know that it's about daily discipleship, not just as an ethic, but because that's where our human flourishing comes from. And that's where we can serve the common good. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that ties in nicely with a quote that I had pulled from your chapter that I was, as I was thinking about today's interview. Uh, you say, I used to think I was brave just to see reality clearly, but now I know that it's not bravery, but perception. Uh, so I guess this is kind of building from that last question, but how do we move from, from just perception to action? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that, that quote's in a section of my chapter called Coping 101, uh, where I talk about the importance uh, of being peaceful at heart. We need to cope with the reality of the world. And uh, the idea of perception that we that we see clearly the reality of our world, I think that's hard work. Uh, but to move us from just perception and being able to read the headlines to being able to read the world uh, clearly, to move from that to action, uh, I think requires uh, a, a couple of things for from us as men. One of which is that we, particularly as white men, I'll speak to white men uh, who I predominantly pastor. We need to learn to follow that our perception, our lens on the world is incomplete. It doesn't make it faulty 
or, or false. It just means it's incomplete. And to move from perception to action requires that we need to figure out how to follow others, particularly people of color, and to see how they're perceiving the world, uh, and then to join what they're already doing. Uh, and instead of us needing to recreate the wheel or to, to create some sort of justice ministry or ministry in the community that works at interpersonal violence and stopping that, um, so often there are already ministries that people of color are engaged in and so moving from perception to action for me personally and for our congregation has meant partnering with churches of color. Uh, for me, it's meant spending time in Houston more than I spend time with other Mennonite pastors. Uh, it's meant spending time on the streets as a pastor and bringing my congregation members along with me so they can see the leaders of our community are so often people of color um, and people who are rooted in the community and rooted in the issues. These aren't abstract issues. Poverty, economic injustice, uh, racism, these are not things that are debated. <laughs> and communities of color, these are things that are experienced, lived, fought, resisted. And uh, so moving from perception, which I think Anabaptists are also really good at. I, I think that our lens helps us see the world pretty clearly. Uh, but to actual action, action that's effective, uh, I think it requires for us to follow others, uh, to connect with what others are doing and not see ourselves as the, the great solution to the world's problems. I really appreciated that you said that uh, action is following. I, I think often when I think of the word action, I always think of me physically doing or leading, but I, I really appreciate that you're thinking of it as a, a follower. And I guess as Christians, that's what, what we do is to follow Jesus or to follow this, but uh, it's it's important to name that. So thank you for, for saying that. Uh, Marty, you, you sum up the, the hopes of this book very well when you say, uh, becoming peaceful at heart is about formation, a long journey of effort, vulnerability, and personal healing, none of which we are meant to do alone. Uh, I, I note that you chose the word long, uh, I, I think sometimes we can feel overwhelmed by, as, as you call it in your chapter, the great acceleration. Uh, what is that journey like of becoming peaceful at heart? Yeah, that's, that's a hard question. And I think I would say that it is similar for all of us. And then it's also at the same time very unique and different for all of us. Um, Certainly without knowing you or knowing your listeners, I, I can't say what that journey is going to look like for everyone. Uh, but there are similarities. And for me, the word long, maybe it has to do with the fact that I'm 45 and I, I'm not a young adult anymore, haven't been for a while. And understanding that the, the kind of uh, quick fix transformation that I thought was reality in my early 20s, college age, where transformation was kind of like a, a, a flip to be switched and then my life would be easier. Uh, I've recognized that it really is a long, uh, beautiful journey, oftentimes broken, uh, two steps forward, one step back. And then that piece about it not being a lonely, uh, something we do alone. Um, in, a, in a book that I wrote called The Gospel Next Door, one of the central images I use is that in my young adulthood, there was a tree in Oregon that I loved because it was this beautiful tree up on a hill, and it was all by itself. And I drove past it every week, and I'd look at it and think, that's me. I'm, I'm, I'm rooted, and I'm 
strong against the wind and in you know, all these these great metaphors uh, that I don't think are true at all. Uh, I, I think I'm a tree in a forest and that there's more beauty in that, that we're not alone. Um, or for me, a more meaningful image altogether is the image of Earthrise, that image, the picture that was taken from the moon on the, on the horizon of the moon as the earth is, is coming up. And that sense that we're all in this together. Um, you look at the globe, no borders, no boundaries, no different people groups. We're in this as one humanity. And I find that to be a really helpful, um, true image uh, of who I am, that I'm part of something. Um, and then maybe the one other thing I would say is that not all of us have to change the world. We're not all asked to be superheroes or saints or martyrs. Some of us are just asked to survive, to live, to be dads, to be moms. We're, we're just asked to, uh, to, to live the life God has given us and not always need to be the one on the street or the one in the pulpit or the one who has all the information and has read all the books or is completely anti-racist. Or... We can give ourselves a lot of grace and just realize that who we are as individuals and men is enough. We don't have to tithe. We don't have to give. We don't have to serve. We don't have to be perfect in order to be peaceful at heart. I do think that Jesus' call to discipleship is a call to human flourishing. That includes ethics, but it includes mental health, relational health, so many things that require a lot of time and effort and that are long journeys. Um, it's not a short journey to being a, uh, a good husband. Uh, we are not good dads on the first day our children are born. Those are all journeys we take. And uh, at best, we take them with other Christian men and other men who are on the journey to be peaceful at heart. Yeah, absolutely, Marty. I, I feel hopeful at heart now, too, after you saying that, too. It's, it's not just uh, the light switch. So thank you for that. Uh, Marty, thank you so much for your time that we could sit and talk about your chapter, thinking about peace. Uh, before we go today, though, do you have any sending thoughts for us? You know, I would say in, the, in this VUCA world, in this volatile, uncertain, complex, ambiguous world, uh, that as men, we are called to be peacemakers. And that in action, we find psychological, mental health stability and energy for the journey. Uh, again, we don't do that alone, and it's not anything we have to do, but that um, thinking about our 40-hour work week as being something we do as a peacemaker for the common good, uh, instead of just making money and putting food on our table, uh, there's life in that. And I would encourage our listeners to connect their work, uh, as well as their off time, with their vocation. Um, had a beer with a friend the other day, and he was telling me how much he hates his job, uh, and yet it puts food on the table for his family, and so he feels stuck. And uh, he's doing it for the right reasons, but it is not sustainable. So to your listeners and watchers, I would say uh, find work that is sustainable for you because it's part of the Shalom mission of God. That's great. Thank you so much, Marty, and I hope that you have a great rest of your day as well. Take care. Thanks, Cedric. I hope you too. We'll see you later. See ya. Peaceful at Heart was recorded in the city of Tuckeronto, the land covered by Treaty 13 with the Mississaugas of the Credit. 
This is the Dish with One Spoon territory. The Dish with One Spoon is a treaty between the Anishinaabe, Mississaugas, and Haudenosaunee that bound them to share the territory and protect the land. Subsequent indigenous nations and peoples, Europeans, and all newcomers have been invited into this treaty in the spirit of peace, friendship, and respect. We all eat out of the dish, and all of us that share this territory with one spoon. We want to acknowledge the ancestral lands and waterways of the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabek, the Chippewa, the Seneca, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat peoples. Takoronto is now home to many diverse First Nations, Inuit, and Métis peoples. We wish to thank them and any other nations who cared for this land. Colonization is a continuing form of oppression, so it is important that we acknowledge the lands and digital spaces that we are holding and taking up. We remember the acknowledged and unacknowledged, recorded and unrecorded, past, present, and future. We are all treaty people. Peaceful at Heart was produced and edited by myself, Cedric Martin. It was made possible thanks to Mennonite Central Committee, Mennonite Church Eastern Canada, Be in Christ Church of Canada, Theatre of the Beat, and of course, by Mennonite Men. To find more resources, head to MennoniteMen.org.